the early birds. You made it to the first session. It's lovely to see you. It's a very big clock, and I've got a huge subject, and I'm going to try and get through this as quick as I possibly can. So, can I just, I'd really like to find out who's in the audience. How many medical doctors have we got here? Right, and how many integrative and functional medicine practitioners have we got here? Okay, amazing. And um, is there anybody who's not a health professional? Fantastic, it's wonderful, okay. So, I've been involved in the health and healing arts now for over 30 years. And I've come through very many different systems and modalities. I've moved a lot through the complementary and alternative field. And I've landed up in functional and integrative medicine. And this is a real big mouthful for the uh, translators. But um, what I'm going to be talking to you today is really very much within the field of clinical psychoneuroimmunology. And we're going to be looking at brain inflammation from an evolutionary biology perspective. So, slides up? I have, that's great. So, the speakers before me have um, really laid out the situation very clearly. You don't need to look at the numbers on this graph, but just the light blue is looking at how the incidence of depression has increased just during the COVID pandemic, and the dark blue is where we were beforehand. So even the WHO acknowledges that we've had a 25% increase in anxiety and depression and an almost 28% increase in major depressive orders. So this tells us straight away that we are going to be seeing an absolute tsunami of neurodegenerative disorders. And sure enough, um, we're looking at moving from over 54 million cases globally in 2019 to as many as 153 million cases in 2015. So it really is down to us as health professionals to do something about this, because so much of it is preventable when we understand what's involved. So let's have a look and see what goes into be triggering our brains to be lighting up. How full is your vessel? So looking at the inflammatory triggers that happen internally in the body, I've tried to group these because there's so many of them. So things from early life trauma, adverse childhood experiences, your genetic predisposition, and if your mother had any undue anxiety and stress while she was carrying you, all the way through to the things that are within our control. So our diet, whether we have nutritional deficiency, do we have any sleep deprivation? Are we active in our lifestyle? And what about shallow breathing? The brain really functions on oxygen. And then you add on top of that the things that we're exposed to. So infections, and you look at what's happened in the last two years and what is continuing to happen. Pesticides and chemicals, allergies, EMFs, medication, the list goes on. And then we drop in all of the emotional side on top of that. And you can start to see already that once you've got social isolation, you have a traumatic brain injury, you've got gut permeability, you are now just loading and loading in. And if this next slide causes you to feel overwhelmed, it's meant to. 
because you because this is what happens when somebody has a load of unresolved trauma and then you are exposed even more to the polarization, the stigmatization, the emotional stress and the fear that you've been listening to the other speakers in this panel talking about. You add in more alcohol, recreational drugs for some stress release, and then you bring in all of the loss of body autonomy with the vaccine choice issues. And you can understand now how we are starting to really be triggered internally. So early warning signs that our brains are under stress. You know, we can have a lot of um, predispositions from our family genetics. I don't know if there's any of you in the room that work with genetic testing to look at any um, single nucleotide polymorphisms, genetic vulnerabilities in neurotransmitter pathways, but this can be incredibly useful to see where somebody is predisposed towards a stress pathway. But brain fog and senior moments, in, in, in England we talk about senior moments when people kind of lose their keys, forget what they were saying, but these are actually really, really important early warning signs that we mustn't discount. Brain fatigue, you look at what's happened with Omicron, um, Omicron has definitely crossed the blood-brain barrier, people feel it in their heads immediately. Now we're looking at um, the new version of Omicron, B5, which is hitting the gut. Anything that hits the gut is going to land up hitting the brain at some point as well. And we're not doing anything about it. So the level of chronic inflammation, the immune system that was primed from our hunter-gatherer days throughout the whole of evolution does not differentiate between a physical wound and an emotional wound. It still triggers the immune system. It still lights our system up with inflammation. And anything that generates systemic inflammation is going to land up creating inflammation in the brain as well. So just a word on the microglia. So the microglia, 10 to 15% of the cells in our brain are all made up of microglia. They're macrophages. They are the sentinels of the brain's immune system, and they are constantly scanning until something triggers them. And once they trigger and see a challenge, they move, I'm hoping that this is a pointer, yes. They move from the resting state into the primed M1 state, and then you have to actually take action before you move them back into the M2 state. And what is very, uh, I'd say unrecognized, is that we never, never, never have our macrophages go back into the M0 resting state once they've been primed. You can only ever take them back to the M2 resting state. So basically the brain's immune system, once it's been primed, it stays primed until we take action to do something to allow those microglia to move. And so, particularly important, um, I'm not sure, I'm going to try it. So, PAPS and DAMS is something that is very well known to us in English, but this is pathogen-associated molecular damage, uh, molecular uh, patterns and damage-associated molecular patterns. Now, you, we're obviously aware that there's been an awful lot of pathogen damage that's been going on, but much of that also relates to the, um, the LPS here. Okay, so I'm trying to show you that the pointer is not wanting to work. So when we have gut permeability, 
and leaky barriers in the gut, you have a translocation of bacteria, and particularly the lipopolysaccharides from the gram-negative bacteria are able to move out into the body cavity. And if you have a leaky gut barrier, it is highly likely that you have a leaky blood-brain barrier as well. And once you have LPS in the brain, this is a major priming um, action for the, for the microglia. Also, if you've got any damage associated with that, these are the internal things that happen from sterile inflammation. So a sterile inflammation is where you have a trigger that doesn't have an infection or a pathogen associated to it, but you have a background level of inflammation in the body. And just think about the mask wearing. One of the biggest sterile triggers is actually hypoxia, lack of oxygen. And so, um, and also not clearing out enough toxins. So all of the carbon dioxide that people have been breathing in and, uh, and the lack of oxygen that they've been receiving, we are just triggering uh, the, the mechanisms in the body that create the entire downstream effect of inflammatory cascade. So resilient microglia. And the interesting thing for us as health professionals is that in our career, we will end up seeing many clients and patients who have completely different conditions and diseases to ones that we will ever suffer. But with the brain, we are at just as much risk as all of our patients. And sometimes more so, because particularly in these last two years, those of us that are aware and awake and know what's happening, we have been working around the clock to try and help people. And how much have we done to self-care and to make sure that our own brains are not lighting up under the stress of it all. So to keep the microglia resilient, you need to make sure that they haven't been primed. And you know, even a bump on the head is enough to prime the microglia. We call it traumatic brain injury, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a car accident or a major trauma like that. A concussion, a mild concussion, you hit your head hard enough and you go into that state. And I don't think that we do enough to be able to protect our brains to bring it back from that state. And you think about people's poor diet, the lack of antioxidants, the brain is absolutely hungry for antioxidants to, uh, to maintain our microglia in the, in the best place possible and to keep our inflammation from becoming chronic. So there's a lot of research now that is very, very um, uh, familiar with this. It's been able to prove it that the M1 and M2 priming and polarization of macrophages um, play a really important role in creating the kind of inflammation that we see in the brain. Um, brain inflammation, the aging of the brain, you will get a priming that comes from aging, but using certain uh, strategies, which I'm going to get onto really quickly, um, we can start to take that back a little bit. So this is just to show you just how much research is out there for you to be able to go looking at, but I don't have so much time today to be able to take you through, um, to take you through all of it. But what I would like to just say is that the brain needs to breathe to think. You know, the mask wearing aside, how many of you have got some kind of breathing practice that you do multiple times a day? Because if you can just stop for a moment, take a few breaths, deep abdominal breaths, make your out breath longer than your in breath. If I had time, I would take you through it now. But when you make your out breath longer, you are engaging 
um, polyvagal response. You are assisting your heart rate variability. You're relieving your stress. And if you drop your focus around your thymus gland while you're doing it, you will also bring yourself into a much more peaceful state of coherence with yourself, with the people around you. It will just take your stress levels down. And it's something that you can do three or four times a day. It, it doesn't need to take more than a couple of minutes, but the effect that that has on your body is enormous. So being outside in nature, I'm gonna get on to solutions now. Um, and look at what we can do for our state of the brain. And I'm going to say to you that being outside in nature is one of the most important things you can do. Exposing yourself to huge amounts of oxygen, breathing in microbes, which also help to repopulate um, our, our own microbiome. This is what it all comes down to, and this is where we all come in as health professionals. And those of you who are not health professionals, this is where you can take your own self-empowered self-care as well. So I'm gonna take you on a whistle-stop tour now of how to address brain inflammation using whole person system health. And the very first one is diverse, healthful, and colorful food. Did you know that nature provides a huge number of phytonutrients and antioxidants in the different colors? So eating a rainbow every day loads your system with the kind of phytonutrients that we need. Metabolic flexibility is your ability to have a balanced blood sugar level where you're not zooming up and down, you're not doing boom and bust, you're not having huge blood sugar crashes, and you have the resilience to be able to meet any kind of stressor that you find and be able to bounce back again. And that also comes from food frequency and looking at how many times you eat through intermittent fasting. So always go back to think about how our hunter-gatherers and how functioned, because this is our, how our Paleolithic genome still responds. Of course we've had mutations, of course we've had changes, but we still need to think about how our genes have evolved and we can put those things back in place again, like eating less, being active before we actually put food in, not necessarily putting food in at breakfast time, making sure that we have adequate amounts of sleep, that we're really turning off all of the blue light, we're getting rid of the EMF sources, and we're having as restful sleep in a pitch dark room as we possibly can. You know, physical activity is not about getting into the gym and into a shell suit and working out as hard as you possibly can. It's actually about engaging um, our body in gravity so that the forces of gravity exert an effect on, on every single muscle. And this is why doing things like cycling and rebounding increase the g-force on our bodies. So NASA found out in the mid-90s that scientists, when they went up into space, astronauts in space, within three days, they had the symptoms of chronic disease that we have from the sedentary lifestyle. And they started to realize then that actually physical activity is more about gravity and the pull of gravity on our muscles. And this is why the movements of our hunter-gatherer ancestors, when they were gathering food, when they were running, when they were hunting, when they were doing high-intensity interval training, they actually exerted that effect on all their muscles. So cleaning the house, washing the car, gardening, these are all fantastic things for being active. It's not just about being in the gym. And time and age, we've talked about 
finding appropriate health guides to help you with your whole system biology. So being able to find people that are functional integrative medicine practitioners that can take you on that journey and individualize your protocol. And please do not forget all of the soft sciences as well. The mindfulness, the me time, your mission and purpose in life, your time with friends and family, laughter, love, all of those things. These are incredibly important. That, that uh, wheel that I've got in the center of that is part of a system that we have on the Alliance for Natural Health International that allows you to manage your 12 domains of health so that you can optimize function in each domain. And approaching this, approaching your health from a whole system standpoint allows you to bring balance to all of those domains. So instead of fighting disease and managing the downstream effects, we want to be looking at the body and how we can optimize function in every area. So. Thank you very much. Um,